with you. You can share things with me. But the thing I am most concerned with when I pastor is the safety and security of people, not only spiritually, but physically. And I am somebody who is very, God has just given me a lion mentality. And when push comes to shove and I'm pushed into a corner, I always say probably the hardest thing for me that Jesus taught was turn the other cheek. Because I've always thought to the Lord, I've never physically had somebody put my hands on me because of the gospel. But I've said to the Lord, I said, you're going to need to be with me because somebody puts their hands on me. Not might not go well for them, but I'm just saying, Jesus, I'm going I'm to ask you to take the wheel. But again, um, as a church, we want to conduct ourselves in the safest and most wise way possible. So if you have questions about any of that, uh, please let us know. But as I get ready to share with you today the, the message that God has laid on my heart, I haven't preached for three weeks, and I've had a time to, to sit back. And a lot of times that's, that's good for me personally, to sit back to just to spend time with the Holy Spirit and learn from Him. And as I have been sitting back these three weeks and seeking Him, about what it is in this Christmas season you want to share. Today where he has taken me is to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Oftentimes we hear a lot about Mary. And we don't hear a lot about Joseph. We even have the song, Mary, Did You Know? And the title of my message today is Joseph, Did You Know? Because what God asked Joseph to do was monumental. When you understand the role of a father in the life of a child and the impact that that earthly father makes in the life of a child, probably one of the highest callings on this earth is to be a father. And I, I look at this picture and I remember when my daughter was born and I, I held her and, you know, at first, you're incredibly excited when you have a child. You hold that child. I mean, the journey for Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem and how many miles they had to go and everything they went to, it was all by the hand of God. But then I, I think to myself, this man named Joseph in the Bible, we don't know a ton about. I wonder on that Christmas morning, as he held Jesus in his arms and as he looked into the eyes of the Son of God, the monumental responsibility that he felt. And we're going to see today this was not just an ordinary man. He wasn't noticed by a lot of people, but he was noticed by God. He had a heart and he was a man of compassion. He was a man that loved the Word of God. And I often think about what it was like for him as he watched Jesus grow up. Because when you raise a son, it's a special thing. I think about, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. And as Jesus got to the age where he would begin to sit with Joseph and work, there were things I'm probably sure that they talked about more than just working with wood. Because we even know from the Word of God at the age of 12 years old, Jesus sat with the religious leaders in the temple. and He was able to discuss the Word of God. Jesus was no ordinary child. And I often think also what it must have been like to be James. Can you imagine? You know, I'm, I'm the oldest brother in our family. And, you know, oftentimes what younger brothers deal with is they get compared to their older brother. So can you imagine all your life, like James, come on man, Jesus, and James is like, listen man, come on, you know, and um, so we're going we're gonna to take a look today, not only at the life of Joseph, but just when God calls any of us, because the question is, not only Joseph do you know, but when God calls any of us, do we know the answer is No. When, when Jesus calls anybody to follow him, we have no idea what that journey entails. When you look at the life of Peter, and 
Jesus walks by this fisherman, and he's sitting on a shore, and he's out there. He's been all night. He can't catch any fish. And Jesus is teaching, and then all of a sudden, as Peter gets done, they haven't caught anything. Jesus tells him, go out there and cast on the other side. And he's like, I've been fishing all night, man. And Peter, being a fisherman, understood, you're not going to catch anything in the morning. But he's like, you know what? If you say it, I'll do it. And as they dropped down their nets and they pulled in so much fish that it began to overcome the, the boat, Peter understood that this was no ordinary man who was standing in front of him. And he said, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus simply said to him, Peter, come follow me. Because Peter, Peter didn't know what that meant. Peter made many mistakes in his life, but Peter had no idea that that simple call to follow Jesus would not only include him preaching a message where over 3,000 people would come to Christ, where he would do signs, wonders, and miracles, but also at the end of his life, as church tradition tells us, that when they went to crucify Peter, the same one who denied the Lord three times, looked at them and said, I'm not worthy to die the same way he did. And they crucified him upside down. And so often, when God calls anyone, that call to follow God, is it's, it's, not, a, it's not a call to follow a religion. I think, you know, I'm, I'm reading this book right now, and it's, it's about a man who grew up as a Muslim. He's come to Jesus Christ, and I'm beginning to read this book, and it's, it's very interesting because you're seeing the world through a Muslim. And it's, it's very interesting whether you talk to somebody who's an atheist or you talk to somebody who's a Muslim, how they view Christianity. Because people who don't know Jesus, oftentimes they just think this is some religion where there's a bunch of rules that I'm trying to follow. And if I just follow all the right rules, then maybe God will love me. Maybe I will get in the kingdom and maybe I will be a good person. Well, none of that's based on the Bible. Because when, when the Lord calls us to follow Him, it is a call to intimate friendship. It is a call to intimate relationship because... Jesus says, unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. So there's, there's people that have spent a lot of their lives attending church on Sunday mornings and have never abided in Christ. All they know is church attendance. The depth of their relationship with God is just showing up on Sunday mornings. And it's, it's a powerful thing when you and I begin to walk with God on a daily basis because the journey that we live in this life all of a sudden becomes very supernatural. There's things that God begins to do. There's doors that God begins to open. There's things that God begins to do in our hearts. And oftentimes, that calling to us seems very monumental. It seems overwhelming. It seems too much that we can even bear. But when we look at God, when He calls us, there is the amazing thing is, is He's the one who chose us. There's some of you that are sitting in this room today, you look at your life, you look at your so-called resume, you look at yourself, you don't think much of yourself and you don't think God can use you. You have allowed what everybody else said about you or the mistakes you've made to define your identity. And I, as we look at the life of Joseph today, what we're going to see is this was a very ordinary man who probably nobody really else noticed. But just like King David, God noticed Joseph. And really what God is always looking for, and what God notices, He's not looking for a resume where you went to seminary. He's not looking to see how many times you've preached, what God is always looking for is He's looking for a heart. And when God finds a heart, 
when God finds an individual who is yielded to him in everything, God will use their life to impact history. Because some of us someday who have walked faithfully with the Lord, when we stand before Jesus someday, and we stand before the Bema Seat Judgment, that's not the White Throne Judgment. Bema Seat Judgment is for all believers. It's not a judgment whether you're going to get into heaven or not. It's based on what are your rewards going to be, what are you going to be in charge of in God's kingdom, what are you going to rule and reign over. And some of us are going to be utterly amazed. We look at our lives and think about our little faithfulness. Does this really matter? Do my prayers really matter? And someday Jesus is going to open the books and he's going to show us all that our life impacted in history. My father always says this, and I believe it's true. When Jesus shows us our life and everything that our life impacted, the thing we're probably going to wish is, man, I wish I would have prayed more. If I really knew everything you were doing in the unseen, I wish I would have just prayed more. Because one of the greatest lies of the devil is that you don't matter, is that you're insignificant, that your prayers don't matter. It's sad, but there's a lot of Christians who listen to the voice of the devil and they don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'll encourage you if you don't know the voice of the Holy Spirit, this will help you begin to know his voice. When you pray, talk to him. This is how you talk to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to know your voice. Holy Spirit, help me to know your leading. Holy Spirit, help me to know the things you want me to know. Help me to know you intimately. Because there's a reason why the Holy Spirit often at churches in America is not even mentioned. Because when the body of Christ is disconnected from the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are a powerless and effective people. But when we know him intimately, we can be the most ordinary person and God can use our life to turn history upside down. So as we get ready to look at God's word today, I just want to pray over this time. And, and really what I've really been praying is I've been preparing for messages is that through these messages, God would speak prophetically in this place. God would speak prophetically through this ministry. And you might wonder, well, what does that look like? Is God just going to tell the future? And that's something people don't understand about the prophetic. Oftentimes, prophetic ministry, the greater purpose of prophetic ministry is to speak from the heart of God, of what He's saying right now. And really, that's my heart for anybody who stands behind this pulpit is that when the Word of God is preached, we're just not preaching a sermon, we're just not preaching a message, but we're here to have a meeting with Him. Because when we open His Word, we should come with the expectation He's going to speak to us because though the canon of Scripture is closed, God is not done speaking. He's not giving us new Scripture, but He is wanting to instruct us in our lives. So let us pray this morning that we would hear rightly from him as we look at his word. So Father, right now I just come and I just ask for your leading, your guidance. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would just lead God direct every word. Father, I pray that you would speak prophetically into our hearts and our minds. Father, though we live in uncertain and crazy times when we look at the earth, we know that there are great and mighty things you have planned for your people. Father, that you as, as your bride, you have set us apart for your glory. And Father, I pray that this house, that the bride of Christ, all throughout the earth, would be a place of your, your manifest glory. Father, may we come with a desire to know you, to open your word. Jesus, I pray that you would be our obsession. And Father God, I just pray you have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen. And... Uh, uh, Nick Lynch, who's on our worship team, he asked, me a, he asked me a question this morning. And when he asked me the question that came out of his mouth, the thing I knew is that God is drawing him to a very, very deep place. And it was a simple question, but I knew what the Holy Spirit was doing. And he asked me this question. He said, Pastor Dave, when you study the Word of God, how do you really study the Word of God? 
And we talked about some things, but I thought to myself, the Holy Spirit's drawn him. Because see, oftentimes these questions we have in our lives, whether it's about a deeper prayer life, it's a deeper time spent in God's Word, the one who's generating these questions is the Holy Spirit. And I shared with him, and I would share with anybody who would study in the Word of God, before you get into the Word of God, the greatest thing you can do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand. Because really, when we come to the Word of God, we should imagine we come to a banquet table. And the King of Kings sits at the head of the table, and he has put a banquet before us, and if we will give him time, he will reveal the deep things of his heart. So today, where I want to begin is Jeremiah 1.5. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, some of you are wondering, what does this have to do with Joseph? Because Jeremiah is not Joseph, and, and no, Jeremiah is not Joseph. But what I want you to hear in these words is that these words are not, the words I'm about to read again are not only for Jeremiah, they're actually for every person that God has ever called. Because it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. God has set us apart because every single person that comes to Jesus Christ, that begins to follow the living God, cannot find Him without Him drawing them. It is impossible for a person to be saved or even begin to follow the living God without the living God drawing them and opening their eyes. And this is what Paul understood in his life because Paul in his life understood who he was before Jesus arrested him on the road to Damascus. Because what God could have done with Paul is God could have just let Paul do what he was doing, continue to fight against Jesus Christ, continue to fight against the church. Paul thinking he's doing the righteous work of God, living under the law, and at the end of his life, if he would have died and never come to Christ, he thought he would have done all these things for God, and at the end of it, he would have stood before Jesus, and Jesus would have said, away from me, I never knew you. And Paul would have spent an eternity in hell. But God in his grace stepped onto the road of Damascus, opened the eyes of the Apostle Paul, and Paul, as he began to walk with Jesus, reflected on his life. Paul's life in itself is a picture of God's grace. And as Paul began to minister for the Lord, and oftentimes was put into prison cells and had times to spend with the Lord, he wrote some of his greatest letters while he was in captivity in prison. So when we look at the call to follow God, when we look at God calling anyone. He knows them before the foundation of the world. So that means when God's going to use us, He shapes us. He molds us. He shapes all these different circumstances so that they will fit into His plan. And oftentimes, when the hand of God is moving in history, people can't see it, but it's moving mightily. i give you an example. Is right now in America. People have no idea how much the hand of God is moving and shaping circumstances. And when we look at our own lives, for the point when we came to Jesus and began to follow him, there were so many events, not only in our life leading up to that event, but even in the lives that came before us in generations. And when you look at Joseph's life, I, I was thinking about this because last week my father talked about the Galilean wedding ceremony. And I thought about, and I was just reflecting about Joseph as a young Jewish man growing up where he grew up. But as he was growing up, just a, a regular Jewish kid, you know, just, just living life, going through it, at some point his father came to him and said, I have found you a bride. Because he wasn't the one that was choosing, it was his father. And the thing about when you examine the choosing of a bride, that father would thoroughly examine the young woman that 
he was going to choose for his son because he would want the very best. And it's amazing, again, like my father said with the Galilean wedding ceremony, when you look at the rapture of the church and how this all, how God reveals this mystery because the Father in heaven, again, it says that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And the Father is preparing a bride for his son. So when we look at Joseph's life, Joseph begins his life, he begins his, his father tells him, I found this young lady, Mary, that you are going to be patrolled through. They go through the whole process. But behind all of this, these two young people have no idea how the hand of God has been moving throughout the course of history. And you might ask yourself, well, how do you know that? Because it actually started in 1 Samuel 7.16. It says in 1 Samuel 7.16, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Who exactly are we talking about? We're talking about David. Because when God established a covenant with Abraham went to Isaac, went to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. He had a son named Judah. And through Judah, the Messiah would come. And as Israel went throughout its history, and and they went through the time of the judges, and they went through the time of Samuel's ministry, there came a point where the people said, we want a king like all the other nations. And God said, okay, that's what you want. I'll give you exactly what you want. I always tell people, It's a dangerous thing when God gives you exactly what you want because it will destroy you. And they gave him a king like all the other nations. Saul, tall, broad shoulders, probably Hollywood good looks, probably had a voice, very charismatic, but the one thing he didn't have was he didn't have a heart that chased after God. And they went through Saul's reign. There was a lot of mistakes. Finally came to a point, Saul made all these mistakes. Kingdom's going to be torn from him. And Samuel is sent to the household of Jesse. And Samuel shows up, and he knows he's been here to anoint the next king of Israel. And Eliab, his oldest, is there. He looks like a king. Not him. Goes down the line. None of these guys. Samuel asked Jesse, there's got to be somebody else. You got any other sons? He said, yeah, I just got the little one. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. And when David walked in, Samuel knew when God spoke to his heart, this is my king. And as we go through the message today, what we're going to find is God had made a promise to David that he would always have one who would be upon the throne. And what always amazes me about Jewish people, when you study the old, when you, they study the Tanakh, if you call it the Old Testament, they become very offended but when you study the Tanakh and you look at the different prophecies concerning the Messiah, it's evident to me, now the reason I understand this is the Holy Spirit, but it's evident to me that the only way that the prophecies concerning the Messiah, it had to be someone who was fully God and fully man. It couldn't just be a mere human being. And so from the time that this promise is given unto David, if you look at Israel's history, Israel went through a history where not only the northern kingdom of Israel went into exile because of Assyria in 722 B.C., but the southern kingdom went into exile in 586 B.C., and they go into Babylon, and you would think that the line of David, the line of kings, all of this is going to be demolished. But by the hand of God, all of this continues to move forward. And then as this continues to move forward, Israel comes back into the land. They go through the intertestamental period where Micah, where Malachi is the last prophet and he speaks of the one who would come at the coming of the Messiah. God is silent for 400 years. And so now we find ourselves in this time in Israel when they've not heard from God. They're under the Roman rule. They're waiting for this Messiah. And they're thinking in their minds... This Messiah 
If he is a descendant of David, he is going to come out of, the, uh, out of royalty. He is going to be a military ruler. And when he rises up, he is going to remove the Romans and he is going to establish his throne and he is going to retake Jerusalem and Israel. And when you, when you look and you study the Word of God, one of the things that I've come to realize is man really does not understand the ways or the thoughts of God. And it's, it's a foolish thing often to sit back in history, even when you're living it out, and try to figure out what God is doing. Because there's things right now that God is doing in the midst of our nation, God is doing in our world, that God is doing in Israel and Jerusalem. And we would look at it and we would say, Lord, I don't understand this. Why are you allowing this to happen? And a lot of times, God is not going to give us an explanation. God is not going to say, oh, let me pull out my playbook. This is what we're doing for the next 30 days. Because He's God. He doesn't have to answer anybody. God has to answer to no one. He is Almighty God. When He speaks, His Word return, it doesn't return void. If God wanted to, he could, he could end all life as we know it. But what God does tell us in His Word is he tells us to trust him. And honestly, in Israel, during this time when the Messiah came, when Jesus was born, during this Christmas season, now you might ask yourself, was Jesus actually born on December 25th? The answer is no. Most likely, what scholars believe is Jesus most likely was born probably between the months of June and July. But when you look at church history, when you look at the roots of paganism and what they were doing around the time of Christmas and, and December 25th. Let me also say this because, you know, somebody will say, well, Christmas trees are just pagan. I can't believe you have a Christmas tree. Now, do evergreen trees, are they used in paganism? Do they worship evergreen trees? They do. But as church history moved forward, they wanted to take something that was used by the world that was very, very dark, and they wanted to use it to glorify God and to bring light into it. So this day, 20, December 25th, when you look at paganism, it's a big celebration, the solar solstice and all of this other stuff that they have. But then all of a sudden, when Christians begin to recognize this as Christmas is the time of Jesus' coming, when you look at the Christmas tree, the evergreen tree, first of all, points to eternity. Because if you look at the evergreen tree, the difference between evergreen trees and maple trees, the leaves don't change. Just always green. The lights on the tree point to Jesus as the light of the world. And as we decorate these trees, our hope as Christians is that during this time, people would be drawn to Jesus Christ and see that He is the only hope. So at this time, if you and I lived in Israel and somebody would have told you, oh, by the way, there's a young Jewish guy up in Galilee and there's a young Jewish girl up in Galilee. They're living in poverty, but God's going to use them to bring forth the Messiah. You would have said, you're out of your mind. You would have said, that makes no sense. And again, how do we know that Jesus lived and grew up in poverty? Because when Jesus was born and they had to bring a sacrifice to the temple, God had laid out a series of sacrifices, but he always put forth the stipulation so that people who were the poorest of poor could still bring a sacrifice. And when, when, when Joseph and Mary brought the sacrifice, they brought the poorest of poor sacrifices. That's why if you're somebody who's in here today, and maybe you grew up in poverty or you grew up poor and you've allowed that to define your identity, I want to tell you you're in good company and that doesn't define you. Because again, people who grew up poor, people who grew up in poverty, there's so many people today who have a victimized culture, victimized mindset. People grow up in situations, and I'm not going to diminish what people go through when they grow up in certain households and being poor and all of this. But this is what you have to ask yourself as a person. Is my past and what people have done to me, is it going to identify who I am or am I going to take my life and put it in the hands of God and trust Him and allow Him to lead me?
Because we have a whole culture of people today who are living their lives as victims and they're being robbed by the devil. So when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus grew up in poverty. Jesus grew up very poor. He, didn't, he wasn't born in the majesty. I mean, the, the next week we're going to take a look at what exactly was Jesus born, born on, put in when he was born. And what we're going to see is it was a place from where animals eat. Sometimes we watch Christmas stories and we watch these things and they even glorify the manger and they make it look really nice. The Son of God was born into nothing. And, and why did He do it? Why did He empty Himself of His heavenly glory? Why did He fully become man? It's because of His love. When you and I can figure out that everything that God does in our lives is because He loves us and everything He allows in our life is because He loves us, it will help us trust Him. There's, there's people that are right now sitting in this place and maybe you went to the doctor and you got a diagnosis and the diagnosis that you got doesn't make any sense. Maybe even the doc, diagnosis you got tells you that your life may end in a year or two. And the question is that in the midst of when these things happen, will we trust God? So when we, when we look at the plans, when we look at the purposes of God, if you look at God's purposes and His plans on the surface, you and I as human beings will never understand them. And I've gotten to a point in my life, and I thank God for this, is when I pray in the morning, how do I pray over this church? How do I pray over my family? How do I pray over my marriage? It's very, very simple. I just say, Lord, have your way, have your will. May your will be done. Whatever you want to do with this church, whatever you want to do in my life, because I thank Him every day for the hard and the difficult things. Because what I've learned with God is that nobody is shaped in the place of comfort. But where people are shaped is when things are hard and when they're difficult. There's people that every single day of their life go through incredible pain. And somebody might say, man, why don't you come forward and just ask for healing? And why doesn't God heal you? And the answer is, is because His thoughts and His ways are higher than us. Because in that pain, in that hardship, when we're going through things with God and we don't understand it, the question we always have to rectify is are we going to trust God? And I'll tell you this, that following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus at times can be very difficult. It can be very heartbreaking. I mean, some of you know and some of you may not. I mean, my, my wife and I, we still desire to have another child. And I pray diligently every day. We have a daughter, but I pray diligently every day for a son. And one of the things as a, as a pastor I always want to do is be transparent. There's times when my, my wife and I, we sit at home, and like any other woman, she looks at her age, she looks at our circumstance, and she says, Dave, I don't know what's going to happen. And as a husband, I tell her, I sense in my heart that God's going to do something, but here's what I've come to realize with God. It's about His appointed hour and time. It's not about our will. It's not about our wants. It's not about our desires. It's about His. Because some people will say, well, those who, those who seek after the Lord, those who delight themselves in the Lord, He'll give them the desires of their heart. Do you know what that verse really means? When you delight yourself in God, guess what becomes your desire? Almighty God. Because some people want to take that and they would say, well, if you go to church enough or pray enough, God's going to give you a Porsche because you want a Porsche. And some of you laugh, but let me tell you, there's American churches that push that. And those pastors someday when they stand before Almighty God, they're in for a reckoning. Because the one thing that I've learned to do with God's Word is to handle it very seriously. And I just, one of the things I want to do when I stand up here is I want to encourage you because I know, number one, in this Christmas season, for some people, this is hard. 
I know people are going through hard things financially, hard things in their family. You might come in here, somebody ask you, how's things going? You'll tell everybody, things are great, things are good, and then you might go home and cry. Because i got to go to church, i got to put on a smiley face, everything's got to be good, i got to have the joy of the Lord. Can I just give you a little liberality? It's okay when you come to church to tell people you need prayer. It's okay to say to somebody, listen, I'm struggling. I know how to do this. I just need God to move in this. And I promise you, if you share that with some people, people are going to say, let me, let me pray for you. So when we look at the plans of God, again, looking them on the surface, they don't make any sense. And we're going to see from Joseph's perspective, there's going to be things that are going to happen here that things aren't going to make sense to him either. And God is going to have to physically intervene by sending an angel because God knows the heart of Joseph. So where we're going to begin is in Matthew 1.18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you might read over that verse and think, what's so special about that verse? But this verse is loaded. This verse is a verse that describes a man's world being turned upside down until God brings forth a revelation. Now, when we look at this verse, the word betrothed means to be engaged or be betrothed. And as we saw last week, betrothal At this time, especially in Galilee, when two people were betrothed, the the bride price would be set, the covenant would be set, all of these things would be set, and betrothal was as strong in marriage. If betrothal was going to be broken, a divorce would actually happen. And as I said, often the bride would be chosen by the father. The, The father of the groom would thoroughly examine the young lady his son was going to to marry. That's why, you know, sometimes in America, we think marriage is all about romance. And let me just, I I had a conversation with a couple this week who they got, you know, they're being tested in their marriage, things are going on. And I said, this is going to help you in your marriage. I said, if you realize this, it's going to help you in your marriage. I said, do you realize there's no perfect marriages in the body of Christ? I said, if you stop trying to pursue this, this picture of perfection in marriage and you just grow in Jesus and grow together, you'd be amazed at how God will bless you. Because sometimes, you know, we get into marriage and when you first get married, you're buying cards and roses and all these things. And I don't think you should stop buying flowers and cards. But people that have been married for a period of time, you know the romance changes a little bit. You wake up in the morning, somebody's got really bad breath. You wake up in the morning, you look at them in the mirror, you're like, man, you look a lot different from the day we got married. So this culture of marriage we're talking about, this is not an American wedding. This is not American culture. It's not about romance. What it's about, it's about commitment. It's about covenant. It's about agape love. Because the highest form of love, it's not sexual love. It's not family love. It's not love as brotherhood love. It's sacrificial love. It's a decision to be loved. There was a gentleman I knew uh, who was a pastor, and he had um, his wife ended up getting Alzheimer's very early. And it got so bad, she was in the hospital, and and this went on for many years, and, and he would go to visit her, and it got to the point where... Um he would go there and she wouldn't even know him. But all of those years, he never was unfaithful to her. All of those years, I would see him at Wegmans and we could talk and I could see the pain in his face. And I, because he, when I went through a lot of the depression I went through, he came to visit me in the hospital. And now I saw the pain, the heartache that he went through. And, you know, I, I knew it was real. And I just told him, I said, I'm praying for you. But the thing that amazed me about that is there was never a moment. His wife eventually ended up passing away. 
But there was never a moment that he was ever unfaithful to his wife. There was never a moment while his wife was in the hospital when her mind was gone, she didn't know who he was. He never started dating another woman because he had that covenant that was established. So when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about betrothal, we're talking about a covenant. And when you look at Paul in Ephesians, what does Paul use to give us a greater understanding of what this relationship and commitment looks like with Jesus Christ? He uses the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. So when we, when we look at this, betrothal was as strong as marriage. And if during this period the bride was found to be unfaithful, the penalty under the law was that she would be stoned to death. But at this point in history, when you study history at this time in which Joseph lived now, what often would happen is that the couple would be divorced and the uh, gentleman who was in this covenant would publicly disgrace his wife. So when we look at this, what we find out in verse 18 is that during this period of betrothal in which Joseph and Mary have made this covenant, and again, as we looked last week, once the covenant is established, what has Joseph gone to do? He's gone to his father's house to prepare a place for him and Mary. So he is away from Mary. He doesn't have any interaction with Mary. But there comes a point, and many Bible scholars believe, because it was seen that she was found to be with child, and most likely in her third trimester, that all of a sudden she was physically beginning to show. Now, looking from Mary's perspective, looking in Luke 1, 26-38, it says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's probably a pretty good question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary was chosen by Almighty God. Mary, as a young Jewish girl, wasn't in Hebrew school or walking around town and somebody said, who wants to sign up to be the the mother of the Son of God? Mary didn't sign up on a form. If you will imagine yourself being probably a freshman, sophomore in high school as a young girl, teenage girl, you're sitting in your room doing math, doing English, and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel is standing in your room. Oftentimes when you study Scripture, Angels, when they manifest physically, they look like men. So when this angel Gabriel was standing in her room, she looked at like she looked at him. He looked like a man, but he was not ordinary. And he came out of nowhere. And as Mary begins to hear him say what he is saying, this is a loaded thing that this the angel is telling her. The angel Gabriel shares with her the news that she will carry the Messiah. This would have been, you talk about overwhelming news. This, I mean, again, Israel for 400 years has not heard from a prophet. They have been waiting for the Messiah. 
This young teenage girl who probably nobody notices sitting in a room, all of a sudden in the Bible we're given the names of three angels. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Now we know Lucifer, he rebelled against God, he fell. Today we know of him as the devil. But the reason I believe God tells us the names Gabriel and Michael is I believe that their position and the heavenly host is very, very high. And I believe especially for Gabriel, he holds a very near and dear place to the, the heart of God because whenever God is going to send forth a very important message, the one who always carries it is Gabriel. But also Michael holds a dear and near part to Almighty God because the one who is commissioned to defend the nation of Israel is the Archangel Michael. And today, let me tell you, he's doing a lot of battle. Today, as we pray over the nation of Israel, the heavenly host is going to war because behind Hamas and all this other nonsense, there is a demonic host that wants to crush Israel. But what I find very interesting is just like Herod, the leader of Turkey, just died. He just dropped dead. And before he dropped dead, what did he say? We're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. I always say it's probably not a good idea to do that. But anyways, so the Holy Spirit will come upon her, enable her to have a child without ever knowing a man. And again, this has never happened in human history. It's never happened in the history of the Bible. It's, Mary has never heard of any of this happening. God would take the physical egg of Mary, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would fully become man because the only way that Jesus could fully become man is if, he, if God took Mary's physical egg. And why did God take Mary's physical egg and not have Joseph and Mary just have sexual relations together? Because sin is passed through the seed of Adam. And the one who was be, would be born of a virgin would need to have a physical egg, but it would be through the power of the Holy Spirit this would all happen. Jesus, over nine months, would physically develop in the womb of Mary. When it says Jesus fully became man, Jesus fully became man. Guess what? When Jesus was born, he had dirty diapers. Probably had diarrhea. Probably threw up all over the place. He was a baby. Okay? Sometimes we wonder... Does Jesus understand me? Yeah, He does because He's walked in your shoes. When you and I come to Almighty God, the reason Hebrews says He is our great and faithful, compassionate high priest, full of compassion, because we come to Jesus and we say, and we come and we pray, Father, I need your help. Father, and we cry out to God. Jesus is there. He is holding us. He is comforting us. He knows how broken we are. If you look at Jesus and your opinion of Jesus is that Jesus is this cold, distant, hard taskmaster, my guess is you probably grew up in the Catholic Church. Because let me just say this also. Catholicism and Christianity are not the same thing. I, I tell people all the time, Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not saved by going to church. You're not saved by going to confession to a priest. You're not saved by confirmation class. You're not saved by any of those things. And are there people in the Catholic church who love God? Yes. But here's the thing. Are there people who are Muslims who love God? The answer is yes. Both Islam and Catholicism present a form of God that's not correct. Because again, when we look at Jesus from what the Bible tells us, Jesus' level of compassion, His level of love, His level of grace is far greater than we understand. And the reason He gets us is because He has walked in our shoes. And when we look at how God would come upon Mary and she would have a child, one of the things to understand about paganism, and especially when you look in the book of Genesis, there is a portion of Genesis in Genesis 6 where it says that the sons of God had relations with the daughter of men. What exactly is that pointing to? 
fallen angels physically manifested themselves and had sexual relations with earthly women. And from that union, that sexual union that was very demonic, came the warriors of, known, of old, men of renown. They were half human, half demonic, and when it speaks of Nimrod in the Bible, he was one of those individuals. When it speaks of the giant, giants, the Nephilim, that's what they came after. So when you look at paganism, they speak of demigods, but this is not who Jesus was. God did not have sexual relations with Jesus. Did not have sexual relations with Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and through the power of the living God, the same power that God used to create everything that we see through that same power, through the power of the Holy Spirit because who was the one who hovered over everything as God was creating everything? It was the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God came upon Mary and then all of a sudden, Jesus began to form in her womb. And when Mary hears all of this, we see the heart of Mary with this statement, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She didn't understand this. But she understood that God was calling her to do something. And there would have been many emotions that, and questions that filled Mary. But the number one thing was probably, how would she explain this? To Joseph, because she could only hide her pregnancy so long. What is she going to do? Oh, Joseph, by the way, an angel came to me and told me I'm going to have a baby, and now I have a baby. Joseph would have been like, what are you talking about? So she has no idea how she's going to explain any of this. So in Matthew 1.19, it says this, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. As we see, Mary is found to be with child. And, and when we see this, and it, and it says that Joseph was a just man, what does that mean? Was Joseph morally perfect? The answer is no. But what it means is that Joseph had a very high view of God's law and built his life on God's law and would do everything through the law of God. So Joseph being a man who knew the law of God, that if Mary has been found unfaithful, Joseph was very aware of what the penalty is. And I want to read to you what the penalty under Jewish law is if a woman is found to be unfaithful. It's in Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 22. It says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman and when I came near her, I did not find her I did not find in her evidence of virginity, then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city and the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter this man to marry, and he hates her. And behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find in your daughter the evidence of virginity, and yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity." And they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take the man and whip him, and they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because she was brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife, and he may not divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so when we look at Joseph, when Joseph is aware that Mary has become pregnant, there was a litany of things that would have went through his mind. He, he was a man of compassion, he was a man of gentleness, but he was a man who honored the law of God. And in verse 120 it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Why did God have to send an angel to Joseph? Because God knew the heart of Joseph. God sent an angel to Joseph to bring revelation and understanding of what has taken place. 
Mary has not been unfaithful. Mary has been chosen by Almighty God to carry the Messiah. Matthew, in his Gospel, makes sure to show beyond a shadow of a doubt that the birth of Jesus was miraculous. We also see that Joseph is referred to the son of David. Joseph was a descendant of King David. King David was given this promise in 2 Samuel 7, 11-16. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And in Jeremiah thirty-three seventeen, it says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. God knew that when he came to Mary, God knew the heart of Joseph. God knew that there was no way that he, that Mary would be able to come to Joseph and say, Joseph, I got to sit down. I got to explain to you. I was sitting in my room. This angel came. Angel said that the Spirit of God's going to come on me. I'm going to have a baby. We're going to have the Messiah. Doesn't that sound really good? He would have looked at her and said, listen, I got to go work in my carpenter shop. I'll see you in a little bit. I got to have a, got to have a conversation with God. There's a million emotions going through this guy, and God understands that the only way that he is going to understand what is going on is he is going to have an encounter with an angel. And so it says in verse Matthew 121, it says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was the father's responsibility to name the son. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And what that name means is Yahweh saves. Jesus would come to save his people from their sins. Did did Joseph fully understand what all of this meant? He did not. But he knew that he was in the presence of an angel who was speaking to him directly from Almighty God. And because of his heart before the Lord, Joseph is taking all of this in. And when it all came down, Joseph was willing to be the father that God called him to be. The word save in the Greek is the word sozo. And what it means is to save and to make well, to save or deliver someone from harm or illness. When God calls any of us, we will never fully understand what we are being called to do or how it will come to pass. But what we see in Joseph is we see his obedience. God knew the heart of Joseph. God knew when Joseph came to understand that Mary was with child, that he would would determine to divorce her quietly because Joseph honored the law of God. God knew the gentleness of Joseph and he knew the father that Joseph would be to Jesus. And many fathers, sadly, today can either be very harsh, they can be cruel, they can be distant, or they can just simply be neglectful. But the impact of a father on a child is profound. God knew the man Joseph and Joseph was chosen by Almighty God to be the earthly father of Jesus. And in Matthew 1, 22-23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word fulfill means complete. And in Galatians 4, 4-5, Paul writes these words, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had an appointed hour, day, and moment 
when the promise of the coming Messiah would come to pass. And the reason Matthew wrote this under the leading of the Holy Spirit was to tie it to Isaiah 7.14. says, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now these words prophesied by Isaiah was prophesied 700 years before the Messiah would ever be born. The virgin would conceive. One who, ever, who had never known a man would conceive of a human male child and would call his name Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel means God with us. How would God be with us? Why would the name Emmanuel matter? Because God, through the power and the might of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit, that Almighty God would fully become man. God Almighty, who has always been, who is eternal, would take on flesh and bone, would walk the earth and step in a time. And here Matthew ties all of this together to the prophecies of Isaiah. And we must remember that Matthew's intended audience with his gospel was a Jewish audience. Matthew often uses the phrase, kingdom of heaven. And when we look at the genealogy, it is traced from Abraham to David to Jesus, who would be born of Joseph and Mary. And to conclude, in Matthew 1, 24 through 25, says, when Jesus woke from sleep, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son and called his name Jesus. And at this time, if the worship team, those on the worship team that are going to play, want to come forward, and those on the altar team that are going to be praying want to be uh, come into place. When we look at this man, Joseph, what we see in these few scriptures is that Joseph was a man of compassion. Joseph was a man who loved the living God. Joseph was a man who honored the Word of God. And, and you might say and ask, how do you know Joseph was a man who loved the Lord? Because one of the things you'll always find in somebody who loves Almighty God is that they love His Word. That they build their life upon His Word. Jesus even said, those who love Me will obey My commands. Because to claim that we love God but divorce ourselves from His Word is not a true statement and it's not true biblical faith. But again, when we look at Joseph, when we look at his life, he was an ordinary man. And today, you might be in this place, look at your life, and think to yourself, can God really use me? And the thing I would say is that yes, God can use you, but the question is, are you willing to answer the call? Are you willing to say yes? Because with Joseph... Joseph went through all these emotions. He has this encounter with an angel. Angel shares with him what God is going to do. Did, did Joseph understand the entire plan? The answer was no. And some of you sitting in this place right now, you're in a season of your life, you're going through something, and you're saying, I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is happening to my physical health. I don't understand why this is happening to my kids. I don't understand why this is happening in my marriage. I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. And we have to get to a point with God where we, we get in our hearts that though I don't understand, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. So I want to ask this question today. Ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. In a moment, we're going to open up these altars. If you need prayer, by all means, please come forward today. We want to pray for you. But number one, if you're here today and you've heard about Jesus, you've never committed your life to Him, and you want to receive the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ, I just want to ask you to slip up your hand because I want to pray for you if you're making that decision today. The other thing I want to ask before we open the altars, if you're here today and you're in a season of your life, where things are happening and you don't really understand why. There's times when you're very discouraged. There's times when you throw, feel like thrown in the towel. 
There's times when even maybe you begin to believe that God's forsaken you and you desire that God would encourage you today, that God would comfort you today. You just want somebody to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. So Father, this morning I, I pray over every heart, every life. Father, those that have raised their hands this morning. Father, I thank you for the hard, the difficult seasons in life. Father, I thank you for the trials, for the storms. And I, and I pray for these today, Father, who just feel overwhelmed. They feel discouraged. That, Father, I pray that, Lord, in, wherever they are, that, Father, that you would meet them. I pray that, Father, that you would draw near to them. I pray that, Father, when they draw near to you, that, Father, that they would hear your voice. They would know your leading. That, Father God, that you would wrap your arms around them. Father, I pray that, Lord, as your word tells us, that you would use all things, work all things together for their good. But, Father, now as we open these altars, I pray that if there's anyone who needs prayer today, Father, that they would come forward that they would receive, and that, Father, that your will would be done. In the name of Jesus, amen.